Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I was having coffee with a friend recently who's been going through a hard time. Maybe you've had conversations like this recently. Maybe you were the friend having a hard time. But she was sharing with me with, with tears in her eyes just how it's been really hard lately and how you know she doesn't feel like she's managing things well. The emotions are just kind of coming to the surface and uh, just saying how she didn't, doesn't feel like she's a good enough mom and her kids are struggling. And um, as, she, as I was listening to her, I just so wanted her to know in that moment how deeply loved she is. And to know that, you know, that may not, she may not feel like enough, but God can be enough for her. And so, you know, you try to encourage a friend in that moment. I, I, just, I just said to her, you know, I know you're doing your best as a mom your kids love you whether you see that or not. They know your love for them. And you may not feel like enough, but you are valuable. And God can meet you in your need. We all know there's so much hurt and pain around us. And throughout this series, we've been wrestling with this question, how does a weary world rejoice? We've talked about how we need to acknowledge our weariness and offer that to God. But we've also talked about how we can find joy in connection with others and in allowing ourselves to be amazed by God and the ways he's working, whether they be big or small. We can find joy in singing stories of hope. Um, We can find joy as we make room in our hearts for God and extend that same hospitality to others. And then last week we reflected on how actually sacred rituals can lead us to rejoicing. In our final message of this series today, we're going to consider something that's beneath all these things, something we have to claim at the core of our being in order to truly find joy in this life, and that is that we are loved. We can rejoice in our weariness when we trust our belovedness. Throughout this series, we've been following along in the Gospel of Luke and looking at the stories of both Jesus and John the Baptist. They're kind of parallel stories in the Gospel of Luke, and um, the stories kind of are intertwined as Luke tells them. It goes back and forth between John and Jesus. So we have the birth of John foretold, and then the birth of Jesus foretold. Then we have Mary meeting Elizabeth, and, and these two characters kind of encounter one another in the womb. Um, and then we have the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. And then there's a couple stories of Jesus in the temple. And then we go back to John and his ministry of preparing the way for Jesus. And he's calling people to repentance and baptizing them and saying there's going to be a greater one coming after me. So this anticipation is kind of built up about who this person of Jesus is going to be. What is he going to do? 
And so some, you know, some of the people, as they're hearing John, maybe they were thinking, okay, well, John says that this Messiah is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so maybe we need to look for wind or fire or or some kind of larger-than-life personality or something like that, an obvious ruler or leader. But we come then in Luke chapter 3 to verses 21 and 22, and that's what we're going to look at today. If you want to begin turning there, Luke chapter 3. Verses 21 and 22, he says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So I want to note a couple quick things here. First, we don't actually read the name of John in these verses. We know from the other gospel accounts that John is the one who baptizes Jesus. But John at this point begins to fade to the background. He, in baptizing Jesus, John had fulfilled his call to make a way for him. And he had prepared people's hearts for the coming Messiah. So Jesus then moves into the spotlight. But until that spotlight is really put on him with the heavens opening and the voice and, and, and the dove, um, he's really just seeming like the rest of the people. So verse 21 says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. So it doesn't say that he made a grand entrance or that there was a special ceremony for Jesus to be baptized doesn't say that the people saw Jesus coming and kind of parted ways and let him go ahead of them down into the Jordan. Um, But no, he was identifying with the people. He stood in the baptism line with everybody else. And he himself was sinless, but in being baptized, he was identifying with sinful humanity. And Jesus didn't need to make a grand entrance because he knew who he was and whose he was. So where we're going to put our attention today is on this declaration from heaven, uh, the words from God spoken to Jesus. The scriptures say heaven was opened, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Some versions say you are my beloved son. This is God's declaration over Jesus before he begins his ministry, his public ministry, before his temptation, before the healings and the exorcisms, before his death and resurrection. Up to this point, Jesus had lived a life of relative obscurity, but Jesus' identity as God's dearly loved son is affirmed and proclaimed. Jesus knew who he was, and, that lo- and God's love for him wasn't dependent upon what he would do. And it's that love from the Father that fuels his forthcoming ministry and activates his calling. Many of you here have been baptized. You've taken that step to publicly profess your faith in Christ and your desire to follow him. And I invite you today to remember that baptism. And to recognize that as a time when God was affirming you as his beloved child. 
and to reflect on what that means for your ministry or your life as a Christian. How does knowing you are loved by God shape what you do as a Christian? And others of you maybe haven't been baptized. Maybe some of you might be ready for that, and I encourage you, if so, to talk to me or another pastor. We'd love to uh, talk more about that. But maybe some of you are here, and you're just kind of trying to figure all this out, maybe even exploring the Christian life, and I commend you even for coming out this morning, but also just want you to know that you are deeply loved by God. Just as God declares Jesus to be his beloved son, God calls us also, all of us, his beloved sons and daughters. First John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. John three sixteen, a familiar verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were, were still sinners, Christ died for us. I could go on about scriptures that talk about God's love for us, how he formed us in the womb, how he knew us before creation and loved us. God declares that we are loved. You are loved. I am pleased with you, God says. We need to hear that this morning. I wish I could walk through the room and look at each of your faces and say, you are loved by God. Not because of anything we've done, not because of any, any proof we've given that we are worth it, but simply because God created us and he says it. You are loved. What would it look like if we all completely and confidently trusted that reality. If we lived every day in the truth deep in our hearts that we're loved by God, no matter what we do or don't do. Today we're going to reflect on two things that happen when we trust our belovedness. First is that we are affirmed in our identity, and second is that we are activated for our ministry. So let's unpack these a bit this morning. When God calls us beloved, it affirms our identity. When Jesus heard that voice from heaven, it was familiar to him. He knew it was his father, and his father was declaring not only his love for him, but he was confirming the fact that he was pleased with Jesus even before he carried out his mission. God's love wasn't based on Jesus' actions, In Eugene Peterson's translation of Luke 22 in the message, the voice from heaven says, You are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. Those of you who are parents understand this, how you can love someone before you even meet them. It's a love based not on anything they've accomplished, but simply on the fact that they are yours. And this is the way God loves us. But this is so hard for us to trust, isn't it? Because we have so many prominent voices around us saying otherwise. We live in a world that says, prove it. You know, what can you do for me? How would I benefit from your relationship? Prove that you can earn that promotion. Show me the pictures of how happy you are and how much weight you're losing. Prove that you're interesting and smart and beautiful and worthy. 
These voices are so loud, and we let them drown out the quiet, gentle voice of God, which declares the truth, you are loved. You are my child. I've heard Kathy Steubing share a story from their time in Zambia that I want to share with you today with her permission. And in that culture, the gender hierarchy is very strong, and, and often men aren't very positive toward their relationship to women. Favor is given to boys for supporting their education and so forth. Um, and there's also some beliefs in the culture related to witchcraft which affect the relationship uh, of fathers to their daughters. And also, along with this, as the Steubings were there, there was a, a rumor that if a man with HIV or AIDS... In order to get rid of that, he could have sex with a virgin. So all of these things are at play, which, which leave girls, and especially teenage girls, feeling vulnerable and rejected and wondering if they'll ever be good enough or loved or beautiful um, for a man. And so men will uh, take advantage of this and prey on young girls. So there was a girl whose father was in Kathy and Rich's, it was one of their students, a Christian man who um, was trying to change this narrative to show God's love to his children. And in their class, they were also talking about the importance of affirming the value of their children. So this girl, his daughter, who was in high school, she was wearing her high school uniform, coming home from school one day, walking along the road, and a nice shiny car drives up next to her, the window rolls down, and a man leans over and says, you're a very pretty girl. And she says, I know, my father told me, and she kept walking. She knew that she didn't need to look for love in any unsafe place because it had already been given to her by her father who is safe. And that's the power of trusting our belovedness. We have a father who declares we are loved. We are beautiful. We are valuable. So we don't need to look for affirmation anywhere else. Do we hear his voice? Our experience is rarely as dramatic as Jesus's. You know, I'd love to hear from any of you if you've ever had a moment where the sky opened and you heard an audible voice of God's belovedness for you. But just because our experience isn't as dramatic doesn't mean that it's not true. We must listen for the voice in prayer through others who would speak to us, in in paying attention to the blessings around us, we must seek to tune our hearts to God's affirmation. When God calls us beloved, we are affirmed in our identity, but we're also activated for our ministry. When God calls us beloved, it activates our ministry. So it was after his baptism and this affirmation as the beloved that Jesus then begins his public ministry. And he knew what that would involve. He knew it would mean suffering, rejection, and death. But he was able to enter into that brokenness because he knew of his belovedness. We're acutely aware of the brokenness around us and in us. And our brokenness is especially poignant when it's a brokenness of the heart. When we have been rejected, hurt, ignored or isolated. 
And our instinct is, is to avoid brokenness or to suppress it. But in order to be healed, we must identify and embrace our brokenness and suffering. We must frame it within our belovedness. Henry Nouwen wrote a book called Life of the Beloved, and he says this, The deep truth is that our human suffering need not be an obstacle to the joy and peace we so desire, but can become instead the means to it. Our suffering is not a punishment from God, but it's a path to deeper communion with him. And what's amazing is that once we see our suffering in this way, not only can we find for ourselves peace and joy in this life, but we also can help others to claim and trust their belovedness. And that's our ministry. That's what God calls us to as Christians, to extend his love in the world. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. He wasn't complaining to God as he went to the cross or blaming the disciples or the Roman government or the uh, self-righteous Pharisees or anyone else. He didn't see himself as a victim in the world. But the brokenness he bore and the suffering he experienced were actually the means to life and salvation, joy and peace. He knew he was loved by God, and that fueled his ministry of love and reconciliation, even in the midst of suffering. I have a friend named Corey, and he had a pretty hard experience this last fall with a blockage from a kidney stone, and it was causing really intense pain. He ended up in the hospital And he said that at one point when he was in the waiting room, he started to sense God's presence, and he started to sing, and he was happy. Even in the midst of this physical agony, he had joy. And he he just kind of said, you know, I can't explain it. It's just the reality of what happened. And that could be enough of the story that he found joy in the midst of suffering. But he also shared that at one point, when, this, when his suffering was really painful, he texted a friend who's an atheist, and this is someone that he's been friends with for a long time, and they've had lots of conversations and, and talked about spiritual things and so forth. And Corey said this in the text to his friend, I know or I think that you haven't asked a God for anything in a long time. But if you've ever considered asking my God, the one who made everything, for something on the credit of his son Jesus, now would be the time to do so for my sake. And Corey said just a few minutes later, he felt his pain subside and he got some relief. And he found out later that his friend, the atheist, after getting this message, had shared it with his family and they prayed for him, including his friend, adding a few words. So when Corey and his friends realized kind of the timing of this, his friend actually noted the coincidence. And Corey said this as he was recounting his experience. I pray that this is one of the thousand blows of a chisel God uses to scrape away his hard distrust. I would endure ten kidney stones if it meant we would live together forever. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? He endured the lashes. He endured the nails so that we can live with him forever. Corey knows he's deeply loved by God 
And that's why he could find joy in the midst of his suffering. And it's because Corey knows he's deeply loved by God that he loves his friend in such a way that he would give anything for him to know the truth that he also is a beloved child of God. Just as Jesus' suffering opened the door for us to trust our belovedness, so our suffering can open the door to other, for others to know that, there's, that they are beloved. When I say that our belovedness activates our ministry, what I mean is this. When we know that the Creator God calls us His own, we are able to respond to His invitation of giving of ourselves to a weary world that longs to know they are loved and longs to rejoice. I referenced Henry Nouwen's book, Life of the Beloved. He's, he was a, a Catholic priest, and this book is, is short and easy to read. I'd encourage you to check it out if you can. But he talks about this truth that we are beloved, but also how we need to engage in this process of living into that reality. He suggests um, that that process involves four moves of the Spirit, which are being taken, being blessed, being broken, and being given. And these words might sound familiar to you. They're the words we hear every time we participate in the Lord's table. When Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and gives it to his disciples. And we, as followers of the bread of life, are called to be bread for others, seeing our lives as taken, blessed, broken, and given. And this is what we've been talking about today. We are taken. God has taken us or chosen us. We are special and unique because he created us and loves us. He calls us his own. And we are blessed. He speaks a good word over our lives. He tells us we are loved. We are valuable. Tim Keller says the essence of the gospel is that I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe but I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. God calls us his beloved. He blesses us. But we are broken. We experience pain and suffering and sin. But the brokenness is under the blessing, and it's because we are loved by God that we can stand in our suffering and even experience joy in the midst of it. And we are broken to be given. This is the ministry God calls us to, and we can experience joy as we give ourselves to others. God calls us to share our lives, to speak good to others, to bring peace and encouragement. When we rest in the truth that we are God's child, we can joyfully and humbly and boldly call others into their belovedness, giving whatever it takes even if it means our suffering, so that they can experience the joy of being called a child of God. True joy in this life is ultimately rooted in the fact that we belong to God. We are loved by God, and when we trust that truth, we are affirmed in our identity, and we are activated for our ministry. So take a look at these questions for reflection and response today. First of all, do you hear God's voice of love? 
Many of us know in our heads that we are loved by God, but sometimes it's not sinking in to our hearts and, and in our lives and all that we do. Allow that to wash over you, to reach the deepest parts of your heart. And replace those fears and worries with joy and peace. When is it hardest to trust you are loved by God? Or maybe you can ask, where do you tend to look to for affirmation apart from God? And how might God be inviting you to give yourself to another today? Whatever that looks like, let it come from a place of knowing you are loved no matter what. But how might that love from God compel you to give yourself to another? Let's pray. God, it's amazing that you delight in us. We are so grateful. Help us to hear your voice of love in our lives. Help us to see the blessings you've poured on us. Help us to trust in your love in the midst of our suffering and to lose our fear of giving ourselves to others. Thank you for the gift of your love, God. Amen.